Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon to Internet Land. This is Dennis Worth, host of Funny Like a Clown podcast, December 15th, 2020, episode 90. As always, Funny Like a Clown podcast is brought to you by G Vegas Buffalo Sauce for the spicy, sweet, savory taste of game time. There's only one G Vegas available. That's what he tried to say. www.gvegas.webs.com. We do comedy here, and on the phone, I have a Boston comedian from Russo on the Road, probably best known for hosting Nesson's Dirty Water TV, Dave Russo. Welcome to the show. Hey, Dennis, uh, thank you for having me on. And I got to tell you something. I'm into numbers, and now I just realized I'm number 90, so like that's my episode. <laughs> All right. I'm number 90. I love, I, I, started, I, want, I wish I started comedy in 1990. I started a little later. But I was definitely writing comedy back in that, 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 that year. So how long have you been doing comedy for? All right. Uh, my first time on stage was August, I want to say August of 96. And my first paid gig, and I have the, the check, a picture of the check. I don't know. I, I don't know why I have it. Probably souvenir, yeah, yeah, souvenir. Probably, probably didn't clear. Uh, but February of '97 was my first paid gig. All right. So, well, what gave you the itch to get started in comedy? What made you want to try it? Uh, you know, I was in college. My first class ever, Dr. Jane Elms Crayhall, was public speaking 101. I was I was good at it. I was good at uh, a lot of people have this fear of public speaking. Sure. So, and my, you know, I'm from the, I went to college in Pennsylvania, and so I'm the city kid from Boston, and, and you know, in northeastern Pennsylvania with a lot of country folks. So it was, I don't know, it was just uh, came natural. We always watched it. With, I always watched it with my family. I always watched Johnny Carson. Always loved the, com- the comedians, and uh, so I just started. You know what? Just because of, because of the exercise in college, I had to write. And I enjoyed writing the comedy part. Just, uh, you know, middle child, center of attention, entertaining, that type of thing. Did you try to make your, your things you were talking about in college funny? or? Well, you know what? I tell you what. The uh, I, I'll never forget it. was called an entertainment speech. It's uh, a speech um, that you give after dinner. And I had to do 10 minutes. And... I remember, uh, and I remember talking about the story meeting my high school girlfriend, Antonetta Marenghi, uh, three of Quavia Road, Massachusetts, her dad, Vincenzo Marenghi, when I met him, and I kind of, and I just made it, I just really just told the story, because he was this little Italian dude, and I'm dating his, his little Italian daughter, and he was an angry little Italian guy, you know what I mean? So he really tried to threaten me, but I was always brought to respect my elders, so he couldn't throw me a curveball, but I, but I remember being like him, like, you know what I mean? Just, just keep uh, him laughing, right? Keep him laughing, no problem. I just was, like, respectful and, and paid attention and was quick-witted and uh, made sure I didn't get too close to his daughter. Well, well sure, you gotta... If you can make, if you, if you can make your girlfriend's father laugh, then, that, then you can take any crowd on you want, right? Oh, I, I don't know if I made him laugh. I just know that... Uh, 
I was very disciplined. I was a disciplined young boy. I was always told the time and a place. And uh, to have fun. Yeah, my, my family, we always had fun. It was always a time and a place. So uh, I knew he meant business. All right. So, I mean, who are some of the mainstream comics that you enjoy? You mentioned The Tonight Show. I mean, who are some of the guys that inspired you that you said, I want to be like that guy? Wow. You know what? It really came to fruition when Rich and Jenny got Comedian of the Year on Comedy Central in 1993. And I remember saying, this guy kind of looks like me. Like He's like this little Italian guy from Brooklyn, but he, he kind of has that little, like, I'm by no means trying to compare myself to Rich and Jenny. Right, right, right. I just, whenever I saw a comedian on TV, they had a Seinfeld or, or they had like a Stephen Wright. I didn't look like those people. Uh, I didn't really sound like those people. Yeah. Rich and Jenny was, hey, hey, you know what I mean? It was just like you saw some of yourself in them, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just, well, I just, and I thought he was great. And then I go, this guy's on comedian here. Awesome. He's this little Italian dude. You know what I mean? Right, right. And right. then I found, then I looked up who he was. And I'm like, shit, this guy's great. I and, can do uh, that. <laughs> You know, it's like, because I really didn't know who he was. I was just watching Comedy Central, you know, as a young kid. Right. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it was, it was very strange. I always wanted to do the comedy. I remember, like, I remember one of the foolish jokes I wrote, like, back in, like, 89. I think it was, like, in 1989 or something like hey, that. Yes, what? What was it? Well, you know, it's fool. It was so foolish. So I was going to college in Pennsylvania, and I remember uh, they had just cast, and, and I'm a fan of Mark Wahlberg, they just cast Mark Wahlberg in that movie, Boogie Nights. And I was like, Boogie Nights, that's the guy John Holmes. He had a dick the size of a fat Albert Whippleball bat. <laughs> the Ron Jeremy of his time. <laughs> right, and I'm like, hold on a second, is it Mark Wahlberg, that guy who sang that song? Can you feel it, baby? I can too. I mean, if you're gonna ask if she can feel it, she ain't feeling it. And I was like making fun <laughs> of casting from all that. And, uh, and I think, that, and I remember the, uh, the, the, the news was making fun of the young urban kids were wearing the hats on, right. uh, even the label on the baseball hats. Yeah. And I just remember saying, uh, no, these kids are geniuses because if big team loses, they return that hat. They got the price tag still. <laughs> but if that's not matching, you know, to be honest, we only buy these hats to match. So it was just like, it was just like, um, I always liked the observational humor. I always liked being entertained. Uh, you know, like the Eddie Murphy stories as a kid of Delirious. People, like some people go, oh, uh, Raw was great. I go, Raw was a rewrite of Delirious. Delirious is the champ of all right, camps. Right, right. So you like the blue material. I mean, how did that work out for you doing blue material? Were they accepting of it the local crowds, or did you? Well, this is the whole thing. This is the whole thing. I don't know what it is, but I never really did blue material. Lenny Clark in like 2000. Right, kid? Do I got a TV? got it right clean. Don't do what I did. Jesus got it right clean. Right. And so, in, in 1999, backslash 2000, I started writing, and also Stephen Wright said something pointed that I remember a while back, and he said, you know, Dave, if you're doing a joke that is a 6 out of 10, then you use the F word, and it's an 8 out of 10, he goes, you got to make that joke an 8 or a 10 out of 10 without the F word, whether it's the timing, whether it's the, 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 the punch of the word. And so, you know, let's, let's face it, Dennis, you know, I kind of, when I came up, uh, Patrice had just like kind of left town, and Bobby Kelly had already left town. All those, all the, all the, all the like Billy Brook, I never met any of those guys. Dane, they already left town. Right. So it was like a new batch, and we were getting training from Gavin, and um, I mean Jesus, uh, Bob Seibel used to host. Love and, Bobby. Uh, yeah. Ryan Longwell was a phenomenal host. Right. 
coming out. So it's like we got such great training. I don't know. I, I ADD in these conversations. I'm not I'm like talking no, I mean, I mean, if you do, if you, you know, if you're making money at what you're doing, okay, then that's half the battle right there. But I mean, do you ever feel like if you love doing the blue material and you start doing clean material, do you feel like you sold out, or was that just never nothing you wanted to do anyway? You know, you know, it's, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because the buddies of mine in the hockey locker room, they go, "Dude, you're the filthiest person I know uh, in the locker room," and I make them laugh doing dirty guy jokes like we all right, do. Right. But I saw your act on TV, man. My wife loved you, my. I, I said, you know what, dude? I said, I don't know if it's because um, a time and a place, and I just happened to think, if, if, like, I, I maybe I got a little competitive. I'm like, you know what? I can make people laugh dirty, but everyone can. But who can make people laugh clean? Right. Not everybody can. And I'll throw my clean set versus any of those New Yorkers out there that I just that yeah. just do blue material. And, but you know, but this is the whole thing. But I envy them because they have their niche. They have they they're true to what they do. I just kind of always thought it was a little more fun and clever to do cleaner material. Oh, but, so yeah, oh, yeah. Again, I love some of my dirty shit. You I'm get saying. corporate gigs, you get the big money gigs. If you can work clean, if you can work both ways, you do cruise ships. I mean, you know what? I've done the cruise ships. I've done the colleges. I still ended up pissing somebody off. But you're still gonna end up pissing somebody off anyway. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, nowadays, these kids are offended by everything. No matter, I mean, you could tell a lighthearted, clean joke, they could be offended. How do you think that's affected comedy, where no matter what you say, somebody's getting offended? I like it better than ever. Do you? I like it so much more now, because, number one, um, if someone's really that offended, I, I'm pretty sure I could probably take them. So right. fuck them, I'll knock them out. And number two, I think it's an even playing field right now. Because, let's face it, the comedy industry... I always say, entertainment in, in general is the emperor's clothes. You know, one day this guy's hot, the next guy, the guy's not. Sure. Like Louis C.K. at one point, Louis C.K. at one point, you know, wasn't getting work years ago. Then, then next thing you know, he's the king of the hill. He owned comedy. Boom. Now next thing you know, no one even wants to mention his name. Right. And so, you know, it's so finicky, the industry. I, I think this is like, okay, now we're all in an even playing field right now. Um, you know, uh... I enjoy I enjoy the comedy probably now more. I think everybody is a little more real now, a little more honest. Mm -hmm. And I know I definitely wasn't honest at the at the early beginning. I was, and then you kind of, then you're like you're right. Shit, I gotta oh, make yeah. a living. He's just now the agent wants me to do so. I gotta write 15 minutes to clean. Now now I'm booked in all the suburb rooms, and they don't want shit about the A train in New York. Or they don't want to hear about Cambridge. You know what I mean? Yeah, they say the real life stuff is funnier than anything you can make up anyway. So. Different than the Eddie Murphys like we grew up with, where you could say anything and get away with it. You can't, you can't say, you can't get away with anything now. No, no, no. And if some of the kids knew that the donkey from that uh, little cartoon that Eddie Murphy played was saying <laughs> some of the things they Shrek, said, they yeah. Would say, yeah, he, he is a donkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, way back in the day. Yeah. All right. We love the Murph. We love the Murph dog. Of course we did. So you're getting started out in comedy. I mean, uh, one of the biggest things around the Boston area is the Boston Comedy Festival. You not only entered, but you won the Boston Comedy Festival. What was life, what was that like uh, winning that for you? 
Well, I'll tell you what. Um, it was definitely timing. And they say in life, and timing is everything. Sure. Um, I had uh, I had been doing comedy. It was April 2000. It was the year 2000. And it was the inaugural Boston Comedy Festival. They had about 80, 80 uh, enters, uh, 80, 80 comedians that entered. So this was the first one they ever did, right? The first one they okay. ever had, yes. And, uh, and like I said, there was 80 entries. Yeah. Uh, some guys, and there were some headliners in there, you know what I mean? There were some sure. legit comics in there. And the funny thing is, you asked how it changed my life. It really, it really helped a lot because I had yeah. gone, we had to pick out of a hat, Dennis. Not a lot of people know. I had some of the younger kids, some of the older guys do, but we had to pick out of a hat. There was 15 people on the quarterfinal we had to pick out of a hat. I grew first out of 15. And I ended up winning that round. And mm-hmm. moving on. And then in the semifinals, I drew first out of a hat. On, you know, and, Tough spot and, going uh, first. <laughs> Taking right? a bullet. And then in the finals, in the finals, you can't make it up. I drew out of a hat, I drew first. So I went first in the corners, the semis, and the finals, and I ended up winning uh, the, Boston wow. Com- the inaugural Boston Comedy Festival. Yeah. You set so, the bar, and nobody really, could top it after you. Wow. What's that? So you set the bar right off uh, that night, and nobody could top it after you. I tell you what, if I were to tell you the story about that, it was it just, like I said, timing and, and what, at the time, things were just, you know, there was a guy by the name of Al Martin. So, so the founder um, is Jim McHugh, of course, okay, mm-hmm. and, and John Tobin at that time. So the finals of that mixed comedy stop, and the place was packed. It was, uh, it was five finalists, and, and uh, so Jim McHugh had Al Martin, <coughs> excuse me, do the rules at the beginning of the show. So Al, you know, I said, Al, make sure you please tell these people, turn up your cell phones and your beepers at the time, you know? I had known I'd do first, and I also knew that my first joke was about are you having a hard time getting in touch with people with today's technology. So it just worked out real well, because uh, Al March went up, a seasoned veteran comedian at the time, did the rules, the first boss, he did a five, and a two. you know, he really, he really built it. He really built yeah, it, yeah. You know? And so then Jim McHugh went up into 12 minutes. So, yeah, I went first in the finals, but it was really like I was the featured act. Right. And you know and I know when you're in comedy, if you go up second, you, you better bring it. You can, you, if you bring it, you should. So it ended up working out really good in my favor because uh, Al was saying, turn off your cell phone, electronic device, we're videotaping this thing, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, and my opening joke was, you know, at the beginning of the show, the management asked all of you to turn off your cell phones, electronic devices it's 2000 you're having a hard time getting in touch with people with today's technology you know and i just told them my brother giving me a call at the house 718 you can text me at one but try my cell phone that number is 212 number you know what fax me at one seven eight one you know what the hell would i just come on upstairs when you get home so it's like kind of like so the opening joke i got an applause break right after the opening joke Right. And I was such a new comedian, Dennis, two and a half years into comedy yeah. that, you know, you know how comedy works. You get that first laugh. Now the nerves it's go addictive, away. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically my opening joke was there. And I remember, like, I try to use the same tools now in comedy uh, then because then my opening joke is the technology gets the gets an applause break. And then... And then I say to myself, you know, we're in the green room in the back, we're all nervous, and they have on this TV show the World's Strongest Men competition. And so I started doing an impression of that guy. There was no green room at the Knicks Comedy Show. There was no TV, and I just kind of made this thing up. Like, 
I was kind of bringing these people on a like a journey. As you were going, I right. was so new in comedy. I didn't know. Like first of all, I remember thinking when I would go to a comedy show that the comedians improv and thought about it right on top of their head that they didn't actually write the right stuff. Right out stuff. Yeah. So once I knew you could actually write it beforehand, right? I'm like, holy shit, I'm gonna be better at this thing. I thought I had to do it on the on the. So at the beginning, I was just practicing remembering stuff and trying to right. to sell it that way. And then I'm like, oh, you can actually act it out and pretend like it's coming off the top of your head. Thank you, Paula Poundstone. I read an article on her and, and uh, about her writing skills. Because you know, Paula at the beginning really wasn't very popular. Right. But like you said, comedy cyclical or whatever, and, and eventually came around with it. She was the hot. You know what I mean? She found her niche. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so there you go. So how did your life change after winning the Boston Comedy Festival? I forget the comic. He said he worked so hard to get on one of the late night shows, and he thought once he did that, his life was going to change. He said he'd get on, and the next day nothing happened. I mean, well, was the phone ringing for you after you won the Boston Comedy Festival? Hey, we want you, or did you still have to hustle? I tell you what, it was, uh, it was, it, it wasn't like the phone was ringing. I'll tell you exactly what happened to me. Number one, I now had an intro. Uh, this guy coming on the stage uh, was the winner of the right. inaugural Boston Comedy Fest. How about I find out? So now I got legitimacy. Got one on your so was worth My two and a half years of hard work, you know, doing 12 showcases a week at one point. So I, you, know, I, I, you know, James Brown's the champ, but that's what we kind of mauled us after. You know, you got to do three comedy shows a night. I, I have old books that I was doing 12, 15 sets a week. Wow. You know, that's unheard of nowadays. Yeah, that's a lot of work. I just, yeah, but I lucked out, dude. I lucked out. I had a, I had a great day job. And then uh, the showcases were, I was I lived right near the Comedy Palace in Andover. So Ron Sauber took care of me good. Um, I got a good training by, by Gavin and, and these guys. Go keep your time. Uh, you know, tip the weights. You know, the whole drill. Just I, Like I said, I just kind of was at the right place at the right time. Sure. Um, with the comedy. But how it did change my life is that I ended up getting a college agent. And I booked like 46 out of 52 colleges at one NACA. Uh, I ended up talking to Roy Rosegard and, and uh, Ray Romano's manager. So I, I got like a little bit, my name got out there. But when you're young and, and naive, you don't really, wow, three years, I won the festival. Where's the HBO special? Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, just, it was just an intro. I got an intro. Well, you made some connections. That's half the thing comedy is making the right connections. So that opened the door for you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then... I realized right then and there that you have to have goals, okay, so, uh, you know, so that year I got a college agent, and then I now I wanted to get a nice uh, a set. I never went, I, I never kind of, my act never really fit, like, the late night thing, although I always did well on, like, radio and Kiss 108, those live performances that they would have me do. Early on, I did a bunch of live performances, and it always kicked ass, always ripped it up, but for some reason, they never really liked me to be on, or I never really got accepted to do the the TV sets, which is definitely a different animal, as you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your audience has multiplied quite the time, but it's it's a different... See, I always thought I always thought my act would be easy because, you know, uh, for these late-night shows, maybe not so much if they're filmed in L.A., but more in New York, because New York, all the audience members are really, like, people from, like, middle America that are just, like, tourists and out there. L.A., you might get a lot of... You might actually get more actors and actresses out there, so right. it's a little tougher crowd. That's just through my experience. But I think again, LA is, you know, you can, you it's can, a tough scene out there. LA, you gotta be a toppy game out there in LA. I mean, that's that's where the best of the that's best the go. Thing is, though, 15 years ago, when I was on that reality show, and, and 
possibly we'll talk about this. Um, uh, you know, I went out to L.A., and they they would have me yeah, go on first. They never want they, they always had me. I always did well there. Right. And, uh, improv. Because, um, once again, those were tourists. Those were people that were tourists coming in. And, and I always, I lucked out early on. You know, Boston was a tough, you know, you had to work the suburbs, and you had to work Nick's Comedy Stop. Right. Nick's Comedy Stop, my youth carried me at Nick's Comedy Stop. Because I was talking about kids of that age that were going to next comedy. So same thing when I was in L.A., my youth carried me because I was talking about what the, that the audience members could relate to. But then when I started working, like the Kowloon or Giggles Comedy Club, of course, when Mike Clark started working me at the Maui and Brock, now I'm in Brockton, tough crowd, tough neighborhood, make them laugh. Now you're Boston Giggles. crowd. <laughs> yeah, now, now, but now you're at Giggles. It's not the same crowd as the Maui. That's a family the crowd there, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. So I really got some great training early on, and that had to do with probably because uh, I was when I when I won the festival. I was you know I had three years. I was only two and a half years in comedy, but I had been uh, out of college. I was assistant director of admissions at a private college, and I had to. I was a motivational speaker, and I copyrighted a program to continue education beyond high school, even if you're an athlete or not an athlete. So I kind of. I was already giving speeches and to high school kids, um, and so you know, if you're going to give a speech to a high school kid, you better be entertained. Yeah. <laughs> if you can handle a Boston crowd, you can handle any crowd. They're tough here in Boston. They'll come right I'll at you. I tell you what. I tell you what. <laughs> you know, I don't know who said that, but um, or if you're a Boston man, I have no problem. I've never even like. I remember one time I was in Pennsylvania, where I went to college. With, uh, I went to college in Pennsylvania. And I was in the middle of nowhere. With some rednecks, as they would say, and and some of them didn't laugh at all my jokes, but I covered. I did I did a, a good enough job, but they were you know they weren't really a great audience either. They were kind mm -hmm. of meatheads, you know, drinking loud or whatever. But it's like you know you come from the city of Boston in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, you still kick ass there. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I just think because Boston's a melting pot, man. If you're doing next comedy stuff in Boston, you might be getting kids from MIT, Harvard. Emerson and who goes to, who goes to those schools? The best of the best around the world, kids from all over the country. Yeah. So yeah. you know, let, let's face it. You know, and plus you got some <laughs> tough son of a bitches from South Boston, or maybe not now, but back in the day, and and, and the North End, and you know the neighborhood kids from Eastie that come yeah. into town. So you know, you had to be on your toes. You're gonna get talked. I was in Boston. Vegas once. They asked me, "How come you're so angry?" I'm like, "I'm from Boston." Like, "Oh, okay." That that explained everything. I just said I was from Boston. They got it. <laughs> Take us up to now. I mean, what you're probably best known for, you're the host of Nesson's Dirty Water TV. How did that come about for you? Okay. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to let you know how that came about, I have to explain how I got there. So in 2004, uh, the first time I ever, like, said, March 2003, I worked at the Comedy Stop the Tropicana for Bob Gephardt, who booked uh, Tropicana Lake City. Vegas, his first show we ever booked was Ray Romano, Rosie O'Donnell, and Drew Carey. So he was a tough German guy from Pennsylvania, Philly guy, and he uh, he hired me in March of '03. Okay. And I did. I worked with Joey Nettie, and Joey Nettie actually said, "He's like, dude, they said that they've never seen a first time do that well the first time out. You did a really good job." And I was like, "Thanks, man," because I, I got great training from from Nettie and all these guys. They really trained me how to do it. Keep your time. You do it everything from, from, from soup to nuts from soup to nuts and then I didn't get hired again and so now the Riviera's calling 
And so I knew the guy likes loyalty. So for the first time ever in my life, I said, hey, man, look, I love working with you. I'd like to work for you again. I haven't been back in this many months. Um, you know, I understand if you don't want to hire me for whatever, but if not, I just want to give it a heads up. I got off of here, but I want to be respectful. They called me right back. They booked me. So October 2004, I am in Las Vegas at the Comedy Stop for Tropicana with Mike Donovan. Okay, that's yeah. right. Boston comic legend Mike Donovan. One of the best. And Harry Basil, who uh, wrote and directed movies and was um, Rodney Dangerfield's opening act for years. Okay, so I'm the opening act. While I'm out there, I found a TV show called The Entertainer. It's an audition for a TV show. Now, an agent in New York had wanted me to go. Renee Glicker wanted me to go to New York. I was like, Renee, I'm done with New York. I'm all set. Uh, I'm going to be in Bob. I'm going to be a big fish in a small pond. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in Vegas with my buddy Junior, who, you know, has since passed. Uh, and a professional wise guy, but, but, you know, born into the life. He was, my, he was my bodyguard friend out there. And I ended up auditioning for this TV show called The Entertainer. That's on the um, E Channel, right? It was on the E Network. Okay. And it was, uh, so, so, so this week, this is what happens this week. This week, I auditioned for this TV show called The Entertainer. Um, but also, it is the week that the Red Sox win the World Series for the first time Ooh. in 86 years. And I have to let Mike, you know, Donovan. Boston comic legend, huge sports fan, Red Sox fan, author of all time. I got to give him the heads up. Like, I'm nodding to him like we did it. And he was like a little kid at Christmas. He was so excited. Right. And the crowd was very, he would, the crowd could see how elated he was. They were very nice to him. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of like, and so, so long story short, I end up getting, I get called November, a month later, I get flown out to LA and blah, 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 and I audition. I have three auditions in Hollywood for this TV show called The Entertainer, starring Wayne Newton. Long story short, I, I make it all 10 episodes. I'm runner-up for a million dollars. That's pretty much why I'm on the phone talking to you right now, Dennis. <laughs> runner-up don't get you a million, does it? Million but I ended up working on a deal when I was the opening act for the guy who won it uh, for the contract. So I ended up getting the contract out there Lived there for about 18 months. Made the decision to come back here is when the economy fell in L.A., well, actually in America. And when I came back here, I found out about an audition for WR TV. And so I pitched him. You know, it all came around this wicked funny. Actually, I never pitched him the wicked funny comedy. Tour. I just said, you know, are we able to host a comedy series? And he and, and this this booker came up with the. Um, with the name, and then that, which ended up kind of getting me in shit because it was called the Wicked Funny Comedy Tour, which I didn't like because it was too long. I like, you know, even I think Russo on the Road's too long. It's just like I just, I just thought it was too long. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, <clears throat> so people. Anyways, long story short, I ended up pitching that to um, to Dirty Water, to Nesson and Dirty Water TV, and, and and the president, and we got a sponsor through Magners. And, uh, and Kevin Murphy, uh, Greg Murphy's brother, at the time was a liaison there, and we ended up um, doing a comedy series. It lasted, it lasted two seasons, um, but then I ended up just actually just being a regular co-host for all the Bruins alumni games, and then 
the museum every year they have the uh, the inductions of the mm. Boston. Boston, we're into our sports here big time, man. So I mean, everybody's watching the sports, and you're on the sports network. That's that's giving you a major platform there. Yeah, you know what? Uh, and, that, and and Dennis, it was it was it was it was a great learning experience. Um, you know, TV 101 uh, about scripting and about beginning, middle, end, and product placement, and uh, you know. But unfortunately, right now, you know, uh, all the bars and things closed, so we're doing we're doing reruns of Dirty Water. Yeah, not going to do anything, but. I mean, being on Nesson, that also led to you being on the Nesson Comedy All-Stars, which that was the best of the best comedians doing that. Oh, what was that experience like for you? You know what? I got to tell you something. I um, I appreciated very much that Barry Katz thought of me and gave me a call. Right. Uh, Barry, Barry was one of the first guys I ever worked with, and he's always been really nice to me, and um, which I was grateful for because, I, I you know, once again, uh, it added legitimacy to a young comic coming up in the ranks, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he was, he was I, the guy who opened the ding hole, which, I mean, that's the birth of Boston comedy right there, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, well, I, don't, I don't think it was Barry Katz. That was Barry Crimmins. Was Crimmins, Crimmins. I got the wrong Barrys. You're right, you're right. No, that's okay. Barry Katz was Dane, was Dane Cook's manager and Jay Moore's for a while. He owned the Boston Comedy Club in New York. Um, he's like a bigwig now in L.A. He was, he was really nice to me. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it was. It, you know what? To be on that show, it, it did. Um, it definitely, like I mentioned, uh, it was the first season. I think I was on like the third episode. I think I was with Tom Carter. <laughs> so yeah, so it was kind of it was real cool. It's an honor just to be in with those guys. Absolutely. I mean, it shows you know your status in comedy that you're working with the biggest names. But uh... yeah, and I was relatively young. I was a lot younger, so some of the guys were nice to me. Some of the guys have been hated the fact, and I, I don't even realize it's still later on in life, just how the business runs. They're like, oh, he's been, because <clears throat> I think when I came on the scene in 97, I had still been writing, like I said, since 89, 90. I just never put it on stage. And then I was also doing, so I think people thought, wow, this kid's only been doing comedy two years. He thinks he's so yeah, I hear you, I hear you. In reality, I've been practicing for about eight years. Right. You know what I mean? And I looked young at the time. They should have thought it should have been a more veteran comic than you. I mean. Yeah, and, and, and I, look, let's face it, right? I see younger kids doing better than me right now. Kids that used to adore me, used to that would be like, you know. And I, and I know for a fact on my parents, I treated them like Kenya. I was nice with their uncles. I was nice with their mother and father. We hung out, you know what I mean? But yeah. that's just the business. But you know what? As long as, <clears throat> as, long as you're still having fun with it, I, I'm actually having more fun with comedy now than I probably had since I won the festival. Like, when I won the festival, I was doing showcase nights every night. We were hanging with the comedians after the shows. Right. It was fun. And I'm starting to see that now when few and far between the shows we get to do, you know, the way it works out now, you usually end up working with your friends. Not a lot of times you're working with guys you don't like now. If you're a seasoned veteran, you usually end up working with the dudes you like. Right. You know what I mean? You can pick and choose a little bit more, yeah. Yeah, the bookers know who likes each other, who doesn't, I guess. <laughs> sure, I mean, they know what's going on. That's their job. But, um, uh, let's see, you're also on NBC's Today Show, which is one of the more popular shows for daytime television NBC. How'd you get on there? Well, the NBC Today Show is another one of those things where back in the day, I probably should have mentioned, I, I, was, I was pretty relentless back in the day. Like, I went to every open mic night, every showcase. There was an audition. I made sure I got on it. 
And one of the club's motleys was doing something. And I gave a shot. Hey, you mind if I do a set? And he brought me on. Or somebody called me and gave me the heads up. Anyways, I did pretty well. And so they ended up using me instead of the other guy they were going to shoot. So I got in trouble for that one. Oh, boy. <laughs> but and, and I laugh at it now because it was... You know, I, I had, you know, there was no tensions, no malice, nothing like that. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's an audition, let's go do it. You know what I mean? No matter what you do, someone's going to be upset, so you just do what you want. Well, <laughs> Chips well, fall where they may. I'll tell you what's even like that. Don Gavin tells me this story, the godfather of Boston Comedy, who has been a great mentor, a friend, and has been awesome to me. Talked to him yesterday. He, uh, he had said that when they came, when, when Conan came, he was supposed to be a shoe-in. They were coming to just to take a look at his set. Instead, they took Nye Dizzy. He goes, "What the hell, man? I got him on the I got him on the audition." Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's the best. I didn't maliciously go out there and do that. As a matter of fact, I just I, I think I just happened to have a joke that just happened to be timely. It just it, like I said, what I said to be in this thing. Anything I've ever gotten in this it was through hard work and good timing. Let's be honest. Oh, well, sure, yeah. I mean. Look at Letterman. Letterman gave Jay Leno his break, and Jay Leno ended up getting the Tonight Show. So, I mean, you know, what can you say? They both wanted well, it, Leno I, got I it. I'll tell you what, I probably would have fought. I probably would have fought. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm not from Indiana, but on Andover, where he grew up. Yeah, I definitely would have fought. I'm from Albany. I would have been, been fucked. Yeah. You're coming out. Um, but, yeah, uh, i tell you what. Um, uh, I, I, enjoy, I, oh, I did want to give you a shout-out, though. I did want to make sure I mentioned this. About five years ago, and I had never even met you. Uh, I, I don't know you. Follow uh, your Facebook. But my godson and, and my sister were going through something pretty tough, and Mike Clark was like, "We're doing a fundraiser with your family." Blah 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 blah. Because I had helped them out financially, and I was kind of getting tapped. And you uh, you donated, if I'm not mistaken, you donated classes for like karate and or uh, like uh, like the uh, I almost said uh, the M and M M and M MMA. Is that correct? Kickboxing, right. Kickboxing, yeah. I was tripping over my tongue. So I really appreciate it. Now, is that, do you do that as well? Well, say, no, I mean, I got a lot of connections. I mean, I book comedy in central Massachusetts, so I always get somebody donating somebody. You know, I got a lot of connections of people willing to donate stuff, so I try to put them in the right direction. But I'm like you. I mean, I love helping out, which, you know, lead me into my next thing. I mean, I get a bigger charge out of helping out charitable organizations than I do doing the regular shows because I love to help out. But you perform with the USO. Uh, you're part of Comics Come Home, which is probably the biggest charity comedy thing going on in Massachusetts. And well, what what gets you involved with all the charity gigs like that? You know what's strange? I, I've wondered about that recently, and I remember early on, probably like '97 or '98, '99, early on in my career. I think someone was being deployed from my neighborhood, like a young kid who was like part of like the neighborhood. Right. And so like, hey, why don't we do a comedy show? And I don't know how it went about, but it was such a great time that it just continued. And then quite honestly, we started earning a living doing fundraisers. And then it just kind of been part of the thing. We, we saw how useful comedians are, you know. We've probably done fundraisers, you know, I would say 20 something years I've been doing comedy. You figure 20 a year, what's that? Over 400 minimum. Right. I mean, we've done shows for diseases we can't even spell. If we were going to get a million dollars, we spelled it right. We did a show for them. You know what I mean? Babies and kids and families and firemen and policemen and military, the blind, or hearing impaired, yeah. visually impaired, 
uh, cerebral palsy. I mean, Jesus, uh, the freaking the, and those are the ones that there's some horrible ones out there. Well, I would say it's a win-win. You know, you get to help people out, and you get to do what you love to do, so nobody's losing I mean, it, it, it. It just yeah, it just kind of comes with the I mean, like, how do I get involved with it? It's always like, well, Jesus, let's get people. To, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's an Italian thing. It's like when shit's going down, get everyone together. Come on, we gotta throw a party. <laughs> we gotta help. That's it. That's how you. It's the old school. You gotta do it like that. Yeah. It is kind of weird that you talk. You said it because, like, um, I, I did get to do comics come home, um, which was great. But you know, I gotta tell you something. What was a thrill for me, and um, last year, because rest is so. So Travis Roy, I'm a hockey guy. I've been playing hockey since I was five years old. Season ticket holder of the Bruins. I'm an honorable Boston Bruins alumni skater. I skate with the Bees alumni, Middleton, Bork, Terry O'Reilly on a regular basis, Kenny Hart Jr., all those guys. Right. On, all those guys uh, on a regular basis. And I'm gonna, I hope I don't lose my, my train of thought on this. Oh, so that, three years ago, Jimmy Tingle, who I don't really work with all that often, but I know of him, I know he's a legend. Oh, yeah. He can help out his, his, his buddy's sons, their hockey players. They wanted to, one of them is doing comedy. Can you help out? So it was uh, it was um, it was these young kids from uh, from BU. All right, Tommy O'Regan, uh, who does comedy. Okay, so Tommy O'Regan, his brother, and these guys are like these guys are like they're like they play for Harvard. They play for BU. They're in the they're the pros. They're not like young kids. They're professional hockey players. Right? And I'm having a brain freeze right now because I don't know if we're going to get on this route. <laughs> Long story short, we start, We do a show in Boston. Next year, we take a roof. She did a great job hosting. Can you do it again? I go, no problem. So now these guys are young comedians. Now I'm bringing them on shows here and there every once in a while, you know, when they're in town. Yeah. And because they had the connections last year, we raised $125,000 wow. for the Travis Roy Foundation and Bill Burr headlined it. Right. And so we, like, that was like, I know the comics come home thing was huge, but the Travis Roy thing, I mean, uh, I'm a BU fan. I'm involved with the, the Mark Davis uh, Foundation. He was on Flight 11, 9-11. So I've been, like, with the BU family for a while. Yeah. So once again, timing and and, and, and and Jimmy Tango going, hey, man, can you help me out on a Sunday? No problem. How much do you want, Russo? I go, hey, the young kids will work it out. Don't worry about it, that type of thing. So it was really just, it came together nice. Jimmy Tango, one of the best selfies i ever seen. He did a... Uh... He did one of the foundation shows, and he had uh, Don Henley from the Eagles and Billy Joel and the selfie with him at one of the parties. I'm like, damn, to be in that picture with those wow. two guys. Wow. Uh, there wow. was uh, the Don Walden Henley's Woods Eagles. Foundation. That was uh, the Walden Woods where they're trying to save the forest up there. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were doing that a comedy show for that, and I know uh, Don Henley of the Eagles, he's the guy who puts that together. Who's your, who's your biggest uh, photo or what have you with the... Uh... Like a famous person. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Sam Kinison fan. He's the guy, he's the reason I got into, uh, you know, comedy. And, I mean, wow. I got to fly up to Alaska. I got to open for his best friend, Carl LeBeau, which was a, you know, I could never open for Sam because he passed away. But I opened for Carl up in Alaska all week. And then uh, I got some friends of some friends. I went out and I met his brother, Bill, out in L.A. And I went over his house. He actually let me sleep over his house. Pulled out all of Sam's coats and stuff from the comedy store and everything. Uh, You're talking about Carl LeBeau, right? Carl LeBeau, yeah, yeah. So now, so we're friendly with Carl. Carl's a regular and a favorite at the the now comedy, st uh, the now the Laugh Factory, the Tropicana. Uh, he is, he's uh, he's actually in the hospital right now. Yeah, he's going through some tough times right now. He's not in good shape, but uh, he's got good spirits about it. He's he's trying, you know, he's fighting it. So. Yeah, no, we've been praying, we've been praying, and a lot of the community has come together 
uh, financially with him. Right. Um, the, the reason why I bring him up uh, on that one is that uh, he's very well loved, and, uh, and that's that's kind of weird because uh, I didn't know the legend of Kyle LeBeau. If the people that are listening, he's from the legends of uh, what is it, the Outlaws? The Outlaws of Comedy, Houston, Texas, right? Bill Hicks, yeah. Sam Kennison, Carl LeBeau, and. Funny enough, they said coming up that Carl was actually funnier than Sam. I mean, Sam, he had the timing, had the you know the gig with Rodney Dangerfield that made him famous. But they say in the Houston days, Carl was the funniest guy of the bunch. Well, I mean, he's still doing it. Yeah, he's oh yeah, funny. he's definitely edgy. Definitely. I mean, not right now. He's not. I mean, as of pre pre COVID, I had worked with him. Well, I I shared the stage with him um, at the Laugh Factory. Now we had talked earlier. Not to jump around, but just to bring how how the world works. Um, the comedy shop at Tropicana is now no longer the comedy shop at Tropicana. It's not a laugh factory. Laugh factory, yeah. So the general that I worked for from '03 and '04 when I caught my break, no longer books their own. A whole new company now in comedy. You realize how that works out. A new company comes in, you're not on the roster anymore. You don't get booked. Right, right. It's a whole new but game. I spent 15 years working at that club. And then guess what happened? You're back to square one. <laughs> yeah, but guess what happened? My friend Harry Basil. Remember that name, Harry Basil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I said produced the movies and wrote movies. It was uh, Roddy Daniels' opening act. Yeah. And the guy that was headlining the week I was with Mike Donovan when I got my break. Once he got it, he hired me. He remembered you. There you go. Yeah. No, you want and, and I have to tell you something. I have to tell you something. Uh, we talked about earlier. Some people might be nice to them, and then they, and then they don't, um, and then they don't. What do you call it? And then when they get famous, they don't help or anything like that. Yeah, they forget yeah. where they came from. Yeah. Yeah. So he he uh, he hired me, and he said because he remembered because that week when I did the audition for the entertainer, I said, Hey, Donovan, uh, they're auditioning for, for entertainers for comedians. I can get you an audition. And I said to Harry, because Harry's act. Is very much like the entertainer. It's very visual. Right. He does. He does. Um, uh, he goes from Superman to Robert De Niro. He does the movies. And so I said, "Hey, man, they're looking for you. You, you might want to audition for him." And I didn't realize he was a producer, and all, he already knew about it. So I, I kind of think he, that's the Boston way, though. We kind of, you know, I wish if I don't get it, maybe you'll get it. That type of thing. You can be happy for each other. Yeah, the young kids yeah, don't get that. But the older generation, we get it. We can be happy for each other. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? And so he kind of never forgot that, and his wife's cool, and and, uh, and he, I got to spend New Year's Eve with him and his wife and Rich Little. Twenty twenty, I got I was with Rich Little, and two days before that I was with Dice Man. How funny is that? Rich Little, Rich Little goes uh, New Year's Eve. I'm meeting. He goes, Look out for your wallet. Watch your wallet. <laughs> Watch your wallet. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you got a lot of you know a lot of the 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 hall shows. You know, you're up to three, three hundred people, four hundred people. But I mean, comics come home. That's in a, a stadium. That's in the you know TD Bank North Garden. That's where the Celtics play, the Bruins play. I mean, what's it like playing a stadium like that as compared? I mean, is that the biggest show you ever been on? Is well, you know what? I've had a little bit of practice. I got to do. Uh, I had to open for the Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, at the Songus Arena in front of 7,000 people for the families of 9-11. Okay. So which which helped me. I, I got to host that show, so I kind of was on stage like five or six times during the evening. How did you do? That's got to be like a whole new nervous level. I mean, when you hit that many people, your nerves got to go up, don't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. But that's what I want That's why I want to share with you how it ends. So I had done that before, so I learned you have to kind of look out to the farthest point and wave to them and make eye contact. So I knew I was going to do that. Comics come home. 
Mm-hmm. The other thing was kind of, I had to follow Nick DiPaolo. Now, Nick, as we know, I'm a fan. He's edgy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so Nick was saying, geez, I've been taping this movie. I haven't really been on stage in 30 days. I'm, I'm a little rusty. And I was like, fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> good for you, right? I'm like, please. So, you know, he's edgy. So if you like Nick, you love Nick. You know oh, I mean? he's quick. Nick's quick. Very genius. Yeah. yeah. But don't but don't forget. So he's doing. He was doing some jokes. It was a Penn State. It was that guy from Penn State who was who was assaulting the young boys uh, with Sandowski or something like that. Yeah. So he was like crushing on Sandowski. And obviously, if you're gonna talk about that type of topic, you might turn off some of the people. So it kind of worked out real well that Dennis brought me on because Lenny Clark couldn't be there. And uh, and I said, listen, I don't really. My opening line was like, hey, uh, I really don't do. I, I think it was about the fireman. So I did a joke about the fire, Larry Fireman, the fireman. My grandpa was an arsonist. So it's a quick little joke. I got to laugh. And I said, hey, like the other guys, I don't really do a lot of negative jokes towards women. Like I, I really went because they were all bashing. You know what I mean? And I'm not. I'm kind of like a middle America, middle of the road. So it kind of worked out good. And I was like, I don't do any negative jokes towards women. Uh, first of all, I'm single and I need one of you people. And so I just kind of like it. Just kind of worked. And then I, and I did a whole bit on homeschooling, which was kind of relative at the time. I'm the opposite. I went through a bit of divorce, and I do a lot of jokes about one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, but that's the whole thing. So it kind of, so they had seen, they had already seen three or four guys bashing on women, so I kind of went the other way. Right, right, so right. It just, it, like I said, it was timing. Made one you stand out, yeah. I said, it was just because I was like, fuck, this could be bad, man. Right, right, right. Because I'm clean. I'm going to go on after a dirty guy. And it just, it, it just worked nice. It just worked nicely, that's all. There you go. Yeah. Uh, well, what I wanted to talk about here, I mean, it's a local show out of New England, and I, I've been in the food industry for 30 years. I had a local television show called The Comedy Kitchen. It was about cooking, but you were actually on one of the big New England shows, The Phantom Gourmet. Um, was that at a Giggles yeah. Pizza Shop you did that, I think? We did. We did um, Phantom Gourmet. We showcased Mike's Roast Beef, Giggles Comedy Club, and... Uh, we did Kelly's roast beef. Okay. And what ended up happening was that Kyle Owen and the late great Kevin Knox was falling real ill. Yeah. And he couldn't perform. So I was on stage and I was supposed to bring him on and he didn't show up. And I just, it was one of those nights. Timing was everything. I happened to be in a good place. The audience was with me. So I really did a nice job that night. Eddie Anna was there, of course, Dave and Dan Hannon were there. Uh, big party, Don McCarthy, who I love, who I still work with to this day. I just did the big party, David Ortiz, I Heart Foundation. He plans all his events. He just happened to be there. And dude, we were in a panic. You know, you know, when you're a comedian and you're on so I wasn't in a panic, they were in a panic. Noxy's not showing, Noxy's not showing. It was just loose on kid. So I somehow pulled it off and um I'm Italian, they're Jewish. My neighbor, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, mm-hmm. a Jewish neighborhood. Um, I mean, the co captain, yeah. So we just, he was like, we talked food. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. Are you going to Chinese for New Year's Eve? So don't my parents. Like, the, the Jewish folks and Italian folks have a lot in common when it comes to food. Yeah. You know? So we hit it off, and he had me on this show. <clears throat> and I still do events with him. I'm still friends with Dave. I talked to Dave probably more than Dan. Uh, you know, Dan's married, Dave's, Dave's uh, you know, uh, that's not a, married. That's at Prince's Pizzeria, and I've, I've ate there, they do, they have some excellent pizza wings, I mean, it's top of the line food if you go up there, it's good stuff, so. 
Well, I, I, you know what I tell people about Prince Pizzeria, and I'm the pickiest eater known to mankind. Yeah. It's not the best food in the world, but let me tell you something. They have some entrees. They they surprise the shit out of me. Like they have great chicken fingers, great buffalo tenders. The uh, the the, uh, the I usually get the uh, what is it? The uh, extra cheese, uh, bacon. <coughs> Excuse me. It's unbelievable. Yeah. They have uh, the grilled chicken. They have some really really. The quantity was what got me. I mean, geez, usually you get some buffalo wings that are like a side dish. You get a buffalo wing, it's a full meal, and you got something to take home. I mean, this the amount they give you killed me. Yeah, no, no, they do a nice job. That's the whole thing. They they, know, they definitely know how to, and, and, you know, look, I've been there 20 years. I've been in the back of there. I've been in there, walked through their kitchen a thousand times. Right. Uh, the place is spotless. So it's like, I always feel safe when I'm there anyways, mm -hmm. that's for sure. All right, so you've been doing comedy over 20 years. You've been on some of the biggest shows in Boston. You've traveled the country. You've seen a lot go down in comedy. All of a sudden, this pandemic hits. How, how's that changed comedy for you? Well, at the beginning, uh, quite honestly, I was probably the happiest person in the world. Why is that? I, like, I need a vacation. I, I hear you. Uh, you know, we're doing shows every single day, every single night at the time. You yeah. know, I'm a licensed fire inspector. So I do inspections at restaurants, okay, uh, and which which has to be, <clears throat> excuse me, every you know most restaurants need to be inspected every ninety days. So uh, yeah, so I have consistent work, and then it just all shut down, and then I realized, oh great, no traffic. Uh, see, I, I'm, I'm not married, no kids, not gay. I have all my own hair. I have car insurance. I don't know what the hell they're <laughs> looking for, but yeah, I live alone. Living yeah, the I'm dream. Living, yeah, I'm living the dream. So when the pandemic hit at the beginning, I was like, okay, no big deal, I'm getting a break, it's going to be for a month. And then, <laughs> we got crushed. Dragged right on, didn't it? Yeah. So, with that being said, uh, I kind of, like I said, uh, timing or work ethic or luck, God protects the stupid, I don't know what it is. Um, timing, it's got to be timing again. So, in the pandemic, uh, I just happened to be working up in New Hampshire at a winery, Fochino Vineyard, in Hollis, New Hampshire. A taste of Italy, one hour north of Boston, next to Nashua. And I was there one day because I produced the shows up there. Um, and they uh, just happened to be the only game in town for a while. Right. So when Massachusetts closed down, he, uh, uh, Fochino Vineyard had an outdoor stage and had enough, uh, we did outdoor shows. So and I work for a while until the snow hits. What are you doing when the snow hits now? Well, they do have an indoor venue, uh, and they have the six feet, the eight feet. Okay, because New Hampshire's different laws. You can have more people up there than Mass, right? Exactly. Okay. Well, no, no, you, I mean, this is how. So this is the whole thing. So uh, the vineyard, uh, they take it very seriously. They're they're uh, they're friends with like the police and the fire chief and. And they, so they went right to the head health department and said, what do we need to do? And so they measured it out. They do, if you're doing comedy, you have to have eight feet from the stage. So they measured everything out and they can sell so many tickets. It's a nice show. And so at least my chops are staying out, out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're staying uh, in the game, right. But to be quite honest, if I was going to pitch something, and, uh, so I've been working at the winery for a lot of years. And uh, Al Fuccino said to me one day, he goes, hey man, how come you never hit me up for my wine? You don't like my wine? And I said to him, I said, you know what, Al? I said, I've been performing the cruise ships. I said, when I do drink one, I usually drink this wine called a Malbec. I said, I, you know, I just, I just kind of like it. So I went and bought him a bottle of Malbec. He 
did the research on it. Malbec turns out it's a, red, it's a blue collar, red table wine. Guys in the field who work all day on the boats will come home, grab a piece of meat or fish, and have a goblet of red table wine called Malbec. The highfalutin, the wealthy people would drink Merlot. So basically, my taste buds like the blue collar Malbec. Mm-hmm. Long story short, it's an Argentinian wine. He ordered grapes from Argentina, did the research on it, bottled it up. And in January 2018, he launched the Roots on the Road, the off-road Malbec. And it really? sold out in six days. And you got your own drink out there. Right now, it's one of the top sellers at Fortino Vineyard in Hollis, New Hampshire, right next to Nashua. Really? And they're, they're bottling more wine. Yeah, it's been my pandemic relief month. Quarterly, I get a little mini check. And, um, you know, it's just... Uh, hmm. It's, you know, it's a smaller vineyard, so obviously I can only maybe produce, let's say, 2,000 bottles or 1,000. I don't even know how many bottles per quarter. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like um, I'm shipping it to New Zealand and Argentina and Las Vegas. It's just it's a local wine. Yeah, but, you're um, a New England guy, right? But I, I tell you what, the pandemic, I always I always think positive. You asked what the pandemic did to me. I now learned about the wines. So Chino Vineyard Halls, New Hampshire, next to Nashville, we have over 40 wines. We have uh, we have a Riesling. It's a, it's a semi-dry white wine. It's like tastes peaches, apples, pears with a hint of lemon. I tell people I drank a whole bottle with my girlfriend, and we did not get in a fight. That's a pretty good that's a pretty good Riesling to drink this wine. Keep the so peace. I kind of learned how to be what's called a sommelier, a wine steward. The big name's a sommelier. Or I go sommelier. We're gonna hijack the John Deere and take the grapes. But I learned about all these different wines, about the dark berries and dark cherries, that wine is, is to be used as a tool, not as just to get hammered, like we've done our whole lives. You know what I mean? So it goes with certain... The hard liquor. Yeah. If you have like a high acidic level, like they have what's called uh, uh, How I Met Your Mother, they have a wine called How I Met Your Mother. Right. How uh, much can one man do? And that type of wine goes with uh, like duck or greasy type food. Well, then they have like a Zinfandel. Or they have a Pinot Noir, which will go with pizza, or spaghetti, or the Malbec that will go with a steak, or the, the cab. I'm going to go with anything, a, right? Yeah, no, it's just, it's, I really learned, it's the, reason, it's the reason why it's a billion dollar industry, is because there is an art to wine. And I'm glad I got to learn a little about it this summer. Yeah. And um, it's just something that, uh, you know, you said the pandemic, it can't do comedy. I learned to educate myself on getting better drunk. Yeah, something new, new, new adventure for you there, so... Go ahead and plug your website. I mean, if the listeners want to check out your wine and they want to check out your comedy, where would they go to check you out? Well, you know what? I always tell people, I go, go on DaveRusso.net. That's DaveRusso.net, not .com. That's a, that's a plumber in Ohio. <laughs> All right? And that was really it is. And then on, on the website, I have uh, the Russo on the Road group page. I have the, the comic actor Facebook page. Um, I have a YouTube. I mean, I have everything. I don't really do a lot with the YouTube, but I have a ton of videos. I have videos on my YouTube page, with, if you're a musician fan, like with Derek Trucks, I mean, he plays with the Allman Brothers, he's a young phenom, we, we hit it off, the video. I got a video of me and, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, uh, the the, the troops, with the, I got a video of him, David Ortiz, Bobby Orr, Cam, I mean, yeah, Tom Brady, I, I got to do a commercial with Brady and Cam Neely, wow. in Boston. And no one even knows that shit. But all those commercials are on the website, Dave Russo. You got the proof, right? <laughs> well, no, it's funny because when you're in a commercial, you know, not, I'm not the star, I'm not Cameron, I'm not Tom, so they're not looking for me. Oh, you happen so to be there, though, yeah. Son of a bitch, that guy's in there. 
Yeah. Get paid the same. Nah. Anyways, um, well, listen, so we just did 56 minutes, I believe, because you were on time with the draw. All right, so let's end off on this. We talked about how you got started. We talked about what you've done. Uh, you said it's always good to have uh, goals in comedy. What, what's in your future? What's What, what are you going to... What are you looking forward to accomplishing? Okay, uh, thanks for asking. So my goal right now will be to keep putting together phenomenal shows on a more regular basis at Falcino Vineyard uh, in Hollis, New Hampshire. And I say it's a taste of Italy, one hour north of Boston. Uh, we we actually do special events like weddings, but now with the new building, we're setting up for some, some really phenomenal comedy shows. We do Frank Sinatra nights. So my goal is to keep Pochino's Vineyard kicking ass and growing uh-huh. uh, because I have, a best, I have an interest in it. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, so that's uh, your new home base, basically, a, right? It's my own space, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's essentially going to be like a getaway for people. Uh, it's close enough to Nashua where you can get a group of people. Let's say you graduated high school in 1990 and it's like, you know, 25-year friends. Hey, well, yours coming up. Well, hey, I got this deal. We can stay at a hotel in Nashua at the Hilton for short money. They have a bus that goes to this winery about two and a half miles away. They serve food, wine. You can use. They have music, DJs. I mean, we did we did a wedding at this winery at the wine Fogino Vineyard this year. Yeah. It was it was it was a virtual wedding, dude. They had it was it was like it was live streaming. It was like CBS Sports was there. All the equipment they had yeah. five different cameras. I mean, it was unbelievable. So. I saw how the how the future's coming along, and it would be nice to, uh, you know, to answer your goal. It would, be, it would be nice that the wine keeps continue going, and that we keep doing phenomenal shows at the winery. Wine and comedy, it's a great mix. Dave Russo from Russo on the Road. Look for him, ladies and gentlemen. This is Funny Like Clown Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth. Dave, thank you so much for being on and, and bringing us into your world and what's going on in comedy for you. Ah, uh, man, I love it, Dennis. Uh, hopefully that's part one. Uh, because I enjoy talking. We got some more fun stuff to talk about, and I and, and, and I'll tell the boys out west. Uh, uh, you said hello. All right, keep them laughing, Dave. Thanks for calling in. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. All right, Dave. Thanks, Bye. All right, Dave Russo. Russo on the road. Uh, man, when are the Boston Comedy Festival? Um, Nesson's Dirty Water TV. Uh, some of the biggest shows in Boston. And now he's. I can see wine and comedy going to good perfectly. I mean, geez, yeah. You sit down, watch a comedy show, order a bottle of wine, and just uh, get tuned on the wine while you're watching the comedy. That's a perfect combination. So, uh, you know, if you're going to tap into the comedy money, you tap into the drink money and look for them up there in New Hampshire at the winery. Great stuff. Dave Russo and a legendary, uh, you know, the next generation after the, the, the original legends at the Ding Ho comes the next legends, and Dave's probably leading the weight in that category. What an honor to have him on the podcast. Uh, hopefully we're keeping you informed. We're keeping you uh, laughing about comedy. Laughter is the best medicine. Until um, next week, we'll have on uh, another famous comedian, and we'll keep the fun going here on the Internet. This is Funny Icon Podcast. I'm Dennis Worth. Tell a joke this week. Good night. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.